This evening's uh, scripture will come from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I'll be reading from the King James Version, Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Finish this statement. Those who fail to learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. It's strange to me that the older I get, the more it seems that a lot of people today are ignorant about the founding of our country and about our Constitution and about who we are as people and certainly Americans. But what you're also going to find in more of a concerning aspect is members of the church particularly who are by and large, ignorant about what came before the New Testament, what came before Jesus Christ, and how that all fits together in the large picture that we have in our English Bibles. And truly, if we are fail to learn the lessons from the past, we are doomed to repeat it. The scripture Chris read for us just a few moments ago, if whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Absolutely, the Old Testament is there to teach us the lessons of faith and patience, as we'll talk, talk about here in just a few moments. But as we serve this lesson, or let this lesson serve as kind of an introduction for what we're going to be doing for the rest of the Sunday nights, particularly throughout the rest of this year, we're going to look at uh, a theme or a topic such as, they're not just children's stories. That's under the blanket heading about why it is that we have the Old Testament. And again, more about that here in just a moment. But we want to learn the lessons from the Old Testament lest we fail to learn the lessons from godly characters or ungodly characters and we repeat the same mistakes that they made or we fail to walk in the step, footsteps of faith like they did. We want to make sure that we in our understanding of the Old Testament realize that it is there for us. It is there so that we can look at, at the spiritual heritage of our people, of God's people, of the people that God chose through Jesus Christ. And if we are Christian, the Old Testament is your spiritual history. It's a history of how we got here as God's people. And if we become ignorant of that, our principles, our characters, and narratives, commands about what it has to say about God, then we cannot be helped but become stunted in our growth of Christian growth and our Christian practice. A few observations as we begin this evening before we actually get into the why we need the Old Testament. Just a couple of observations about the Old Testament that we need to make here right at the very first. Number one, it is called old for a reason. It is called the Old Testament for a reason. There is a New Testament. There is a better testament. And I can go to the book of Hebrews, which is written about better things. And I can talk about how that every way that the testament or the covenant that Christ brought in, and again, the book of Hebrews is going to use those words covenant and testament interchangeably, but the testament that Jesus Christ brought in was far superior to the old because with his own blood, he ratified that testament and we stand here on the better testament built upon better promises. That's Hebrews chapter 9, particularly verses 15 to 17. And we can look at the testament that Christ brought in and realize that the old passed away. That's an important observation to make about the Old Testament. Realize this. It passed away when Christ was nailed to the cross. Turn your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. There are two primary passages that talk about the old passing away, and we who are of a Gentile background, as the Bible would describe us, have now come into the fellowship of God. The first one is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. The other one is easy to remember because it's Ephesians 2.14. It talks about in Ephesians 2.14 that Christ broke down the middle wall of partition, that separation barrier between the Jews and Gentiles, and God has brought us all together in one body in Christ. But in Colossians 2.14, know what he says there. Christ, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, meaning the law of Moses, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What Jesus did in fulfilling the old law was he nailed that law to the cross as if to say this law is no longer in effect. It's now the blood of Jesus Christ that our testament, that our covenant is built upon. It is old because it was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. Realize this observation. It is not the law that we are under today. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 7 and look at this passage. Romans chapter 7, as Paul is making an argument about, uh, uh, about the law and about how we died to the law, he likens this to a marriage and a marital relationship. Paul says, do you not know, brethren, chapter 7 and verse 1 of Romans, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so she's not an adulteress, though she's married another man. Therefore, here's the conclusion, here's the application. My brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. There might have been some questions in the Jewish mind to say, well, maybe I'm still under obligation to adhere to some of the uh, practices of the old law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament. Am I still required to observe the Sabbath? Am I still required to, to offer those sacrifices? What is my responsibility? And Paul says, listen. It's like this marital relationship. You're bound to this person as long as you live. But if that person dies, you're free to marry again. He says, here's the application. We become dead to the law. We passed away to the law. So it is that we might be married to the one that God raised up through the dead. We're now married to Jesus Christ. There was a death that occurred, but now there is a new union in him. And so it is that we can live our lives in a way that's pleasing him because... The old law is not the law that we're under today. Make this observation. The principles we find in the Old Testament, many are repeated in the New Testament. Many of the principles that we find in the old law are repeated, and, and you're going to find them restated in either commands or principles in the New Testament. So here's the question. Are we under the Ten Commandments today? The answer is no, we are not. Remember Colossians 2.14, that old law was nailed to the cross. But here's the question. Can I find those principles and those commandments in principle or in command repeated in the New Testament? And the answer is yes, absolutely. God, have no other gods before me. You little children, keep yourselves from idols. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. No graven images, respect for his name, honoring father and mother, no stealing, no murder, no coveting, no bearing false witness against your neighbor. What about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? Again, in the book of Colossians, it talks about the fact that 
we don't need to let anybody judge us in regard to food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. He says, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. You know what we have to look forward to in the Sabbath? It is that eternal rest with Jesus Christ because he is our Sabbath. And yes, we want to honor the Sabbath. We want to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because, folks, that's what we're looking forward to. That's Hebrews chapter 4 because he talks about a rest remaining for the people of God, a rest that's eternal, a rest that we don't have to worry about. And so we look at that and we say, Christ is our Sabbath. Is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? And the answer is no, it is not, absolutely. The Sabbath was some the seventh day of the week. We gather together on the first day of the week. But Christ is our Sabbath rest. He's what we're looking forward to spiritually when, we're, uh, when our life is expired. Many of the principles we find in the Old Testament are repeated in the New Testament. And note that, folks, God expected the same thing of those Old Testament characters, those Old Testament people, as he does of us. He expects loyalty. He expects obedience. He expects humility. He expects reverence. He expects us to respond to his word whenever it is that he speaks. And that's something that we can absolutely understand with regard to the New Testament. Here are some potential pitfalls of studying the Old Testament. I'll give you all of these at once and we'll talk about them one at a time. Number one, a potential pitfall of studying the Old Testament is that we just study the Old Testament like it's just children's stories. Or like it's myth. There are some people that want to go to extreme lengths to really uh, uh, to make a myth out of Genesis chapter 1 through 11. They'll say, oh, that's not creation facts. That's not a history of the, what God did at the very beginning. All of that is just allegory. All of that is just, uh, just representative. You know what? When Christ talked about the beginning, male and female, as God created them, he didn't talk about it as myth. He didn't talk about it as allegory. Christ said God made them male and female at the very beginning. Whenever it was the New Testament writers talked about the events of Genesis chapter 1 through 11, there was no caveat to say, and by the way, if this were true, they treated it like it was, because it is. And so it is that people want to mythologize Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Adam and Noah and the flood. And you know what? The Bible doesn't make any kind of caveats or references to that. It treats it as it is, is history. The other thing is, is trying to just study it as children's stories. So we send our children into Bible classes, and I hope that you're taking your children to Bible classes. But they teach them the song, you know, God told Noah to build him an arky arky, right? And the animals went in, twosies, twosies, right? And we put the ark on the, on the back of the, uh, the nursery room wall and, and, you know, have the little animals sticking their heads out of the, the doors and put the rainbow above the clouds, and, and we just leave it there. And we just leave the picture of the ark there. We, we leave the lessons there about David slaying Goliath or, or about Daniel and lions. Then we say, well, those are just children's stories. When we get them up into the high school class and into the adult classes, well, that's when we talk about grace and faith and love and works and, and repentance and baptism and all of those things. And we just leave those other things there on the nursery room wall. Do you realize that the story of Noah was the first time that the word grace is used in the entire Bible? There in Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Do you realize that Abraham sacrificing Isaac and the commandment of God and saying, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, that's the first time that love is used in the entire Bible. 
when we look and understand that here is the response of people that want to please God, and here's the stories that, that's laid out in the faith and obedience that God expects, those are not just children's stories. Those are lessons for us as grown-ups, as adults, to take comfort and take hope in what God has revealed through his ancient writers. And God forbid that we should just treat them like children's stories and leave them just to the children. There are grown-up lessons from these so-called children's stories. The books that are evidently, abundantly make those points are those books. There are accounts of people responding to faith and faith to a great God. We sometimes, whoops, number two, we fail to learn the lessons about pleasing God. We fail to learn the lessons about pleasing God. You go to a chapter like Leviticus chapter 10 about the two prophets of, or excuse me, the two priests of, of Aaron, or um, sons of Aaron who are priests, Nadab and Abihu. Bible says they go in, it seems like, for the first time during the tabernacle worship. And they take, it, uh, take their censers and they fill it with strange fire that God hadn't commanded. And they walk in and they're, they're preparing to offer that. It says fire comes out and from the Lord and consumes them. And we say, "Woo, that was harsh. Ooh, I can't believe God did that, but it's, I'm so glad we don't have to worry about that today. Well, wait a minute. What in principle is there from Nadab and Abihu that we can learn? Folks, we've got to be careful what we bring to God in worship. We've got to make sure that there is humility and there is an understanding of his will when we come into his presence. Because we don't want to do anything that's going to offend the Most High, the one that we are coming to worship. Understanding pitfalls in understanding the Old Testament and failing to understand the consistency of God. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some people want to say, you get over in the Old Testament and you've got to talk about God as a judge, a supreme, eternal judge, and he's going to bring down the wrath and he's going to, to cause the sinner to flee and he's going to... to, to, to Bring his, his wrath upon men mightily. But then you come over here to the New Testament and you talk about God as a God of grace and love and forgiveness and peace and kindness and long-suffering. But you know what the Old Testament brings out? is all of those things, but it also brings out his grace and his love and his kindness and his long-suffering and all of those things that we talked about in the New Testament. And brothers and sisters, please don't miss this. It's on every page. It's on every page. We have been studying the minor prophets in the back classroom on Wednesday nights. And you know what? Even though those people were rejecting God in a completely unprecedented way, even though it was that God had provided them all good things and now he was bringing upon them the curses of Deuteronomy 28 and telling them again and again and again, you need to change your life, you need to change your life, you need to change your life, you need to come back to me. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. Why did God do that? Why did he send those prophets again and again and again and again to people that wouldn't want to hear it? It did because of his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and the fact that God's not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Folks, that's an Old Testament lesson. It's the same God there as it is here. You know what the one word is that sums up God's wrath and God's love? It's the word holy. It's the word holy. God being a holy God has got to punish sin just by his very nature. But God, by his very nature, is love, and he wants to extend to man grace. 
You know what he does to reconcile wrath and grace? He provides us Jesus Christ. He provides us Jesus Christ who took the brunt of the wrath of God so that we could experience the grace of God. We fail to understand the consistency of God. The same God that spoke at the very beginning that speaks to us through Jesus Christ in his word. Number four, but potential pitfalls in studying the Old Testament, seeking authority for Christian practices today. There is a religious group that still advocates that we worship on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And looking at those things and saying, well, listen, you know, we're still under those old law. We're still under the Ten Commandments, which are found. And I could ask the children, and they would say Exodus 20. They're still found in Exodus 20, and we're still under those today, so we need to be worshiping on the Sabbath. Again, one of the first places you want to go to in a Bible study with somebody like that is Colossians 2, 14 through 16. Because it says... Christ is the fullness. Christ is the substance of all those things, the new moons and the Sabbaths. Christ is the fullness now of those things. That old law was nailed to the cross. We're not under that today. Here's the other thing that you'll hear sometimes. And people will look at the churches of Christ and will say, you all don't use musical instruments. Well, what about David? You go back to Psalm 149, Psalm 150. You go back to the book of Chronicles. You go back to the book of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And you'll see David used musical instruments in his worship. You know what? I appreciate that question. I really do. You know why? Because whether that person knows it or not, what they're doing is they are appealing to Bible authority. And that is an excellent place to start. You know why? Because we want somebody that's going to look for their practices from the Bible. We want to look for somebody that's got a good and honest heart that says, I only want to do what the Bible says. Here's the thing, though. Again, Colossians 2.14, Ephesians uh, 2.14. We look at that and we say that old law was nailed to the cross. And the principle is, is that we are under the new law. We look to the new law and you can scan the book from Genesis, or excuse me, from Matthew to Revelation. And you're never going to find anything about man-made musical instruments in the worship of the New Testament church. You're just not. In fact, what you're going to find is time and time again that those saints gather together, both Jew and Gentile in assembly, just like we're assembling this evening. And they lifted up the songs of their voices but they also pluck the strings of a particular instrument. You know what instrument that is? It's the heart. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. And that's the pattern. And we would do well to adhere to the pattern. So why do we need the Old Testament? Four things, five, six things rather, and, and the lesson's yours. Number one, we need the Old Testament. Benefits of studying the Old Testament because it is the word of God. Over 2,000 times, 2,000 times, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, which God spoke to Moses when he was in the wilderness of Sinai, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. Time and time again, you're going to find, and God said to Noah, and God said to Abraham, and God said to Isaac, and God said to Jacob, here's the word of God. Here's what God wants of his servants. Here's what God wanted those great men of faith. He wants them to listen. Does he want us to listen? The answer is yes. When God speaks, brothers and sisters, we had better listen. It is the word of God. Number two, it helps us to properly understand references in the New Testament. We absolutely need the Old Testament because what if the New Testament, what if we open up to the, to the writing or to the teachings of Jesus? And we open it up and we look at, at what Jesus says in Matthew 16 and verse 4 and say, no, no sign is going to be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah. 
Well, who's Jonah? What did Jonah do? Why do I need to know who Jonah is? Why couldn't Christ just say, well, well, well you know, after three days, I'm going to come up from the dead. I'm going to, to rise and never again die. When Jesus taught the very, very difficult saying, even though it's not that hard to understand, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, when the Pharisees came to ask him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? You know what Jesus appealed to? He said, from the beginning, God created them male and female. God's purpose for marriage, that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two should become one flesh. As Jesus appeals back to the Old Testament again and again and again to try and teach those uh, hard-hearted Jews what God's intent for the law was and what God's will was from the very beginning, he did so appealing to the Old Testament. Folks, we can't be ignorant of it. We've got to go back and we've got to look up those references and make sure that we're looking at the right principles and make sure that we're looking at the right passages so that we can better understand what God says to his people. Number three, we need to realize that the Old Testament is there to help us to realize the greatness and the power of God. In my Bible studies with individuals, what I'll often do is start with the title page. You know, the title page on your Bible, that's probably never even been looked at, where it says the Holy Bible there on the, on the uh, onion skin paper. And you look at that and you say, what's the Bible all about? What's the purpose for the entire Bible? And what I'll usually do is have the person write down on their title page, it's about the salvation of man to the glory of God through Jesus Christ his Son. If you wanted a complete summation of what the Bible's all about, it's about the salvation of man to the glory of God through Jesus Christ his Son. You turn to the first page of the Old Testament where it says Old Testament. There's nothing else on the page. And you want to write down on that page, what's the Old Testament about? It's teaching us. God means what he says, and he says what he means. God means what he says, and he says what he means. As you go to the first page of the New Testament, as you look at that first page, that blank page, you look and see how to be right with God. How to be right with God. Old Testament is there, and it's designed to make us stand in awe of the God of heaven in awe of his power over the Red Sea, in awe of his power to be able to just speak the universe and all that's here into existence, the ability to look down and see a sinful man and to be able to begin to enact a plan which he had found ever before he found the world. And he began to, uh, to move this plan in his direction until it was in the fullness of time Christ was brought forth and we're meant to stand in awe of this God who moves along the wheels of history moves along things in his own purpose so that he can redeem us so that he can save us to his own glory through Jesus Christ his son. It's a beautiful thing. But we're meant to stand in awe of God to feel his power and to realize how much we need to respond to him and listen to him. Because as Brendan brought out so beautifully this morning, there's going to come a time where we're all going to stand before him. We're all going to kneel before Jesus Christ. Some willingly, some unwillingly. We want to be in the willingly group because we need to respond to God's message through his spokesman for today, Christ Jesus, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It helps us to clearly understand faith and works clearly. It clearly helps us to understand faith and works. Greatest place to go for this is, again, a, a part of the banana card, Hebrews chapter 11, faith. The faith hall of fame. And I'm as, as, as 
reading the book of Hebrews and, and realizing maybe I come from a Jewish descent and I'm a, now a Christian and I'm wanting to give up. You know what the Hebrews writer does? He goes again and again and again to those Old Testament characters, those Old Testament people. And he shows that those people were made certain promises and they behaved in the way that God said and they received those promises. Again, the message is, I've been made some promises as a Christian. And my promises are so much better than those promises that were made to those people. My covenant is so much better than the covenant those people lived under. And how much more faithful should I be? How much more responsive to the message of God should I be? Because I have this better covenant with better promises. Therefore, I need to act in the right direction. I need to change the way it is that I respond to God and his message. I need to be thoughtful about the way it is that... I read his word and strive to make understanding and application every single day. Bible, the Old Testament gives us peace and comfort, patience and comfort. If I'm struggling in my faith, you know what can help me? Going back and reading, rereading the story of Joseph. About how Joseph got his start in the school of hard knocks. About how it was that his family so despised him that they sold him into slavery just for having a couple of dreams. And how it was that Joseph spent at least 22 years of his life away from his family in a nation where they spoke a strange language. And through God's providence, Joseph ascended to the point where he was second in command in all the world. And how Joseph used that as an occasion to glorify God and to save his family. God providentially through Joseph did that. But you know what I find in the life of Joseph? I find patience. I find an attitude of steadfast trust in God of heaven. You go back and read Joseph and you don't see that it's there. It's there. How do I need to respond when life knocks me down? When things get me down? I need to be a person that is patient and that trusts in God to bring about his purpose in my life. The Old Testament it brings us to Christ. If all we had was the Old Testament, if the only thing that we had was to read the pages from Genesis all the way through Malachi, you know what we would have today? We would have an insatiable thirst for something better. Everything in the Old Testament was designed to be an arrow that's pointing this way. That's pointing to something better. And following these road signs and following these arrows, and I can imagine again, as I've mentioned before, all those Old Testament sacrifices and a person that's bringing a bull or a goat or a sheep up to the, to the tabernacle to worship and thinking about that and saying, you know what, it's only going to be a matter of time before I bring another bull or, or sheep up to, or to, uh, animal up to this tabernacle to sacrifice. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was just one sacrifice for all? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was just once for all that this, this problem of sin could be dealt with? That's what the Old Testament does. It points us to something better so that we can look at Jesus Christ and say, here's the something better. I want that. It brings us to Christ. That's what Galatians 3 is all about. It says the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was just like a tutor, but, but now it is that it, it moves us along in the right direction until we come to the right answer, until we come to the answer of faith, which is Jesus Christ. I want him to be my Lord and Savior, and I want to live for him every single day because he is the final solution for sin and the sin in my life and yours. The Old Testament is beautiful, folks. Please don't miss it. 
but realize that everything that God is doing is all about bringing us to the point where we sit this evening in Jesus Christ. Are you in him this evening? If not, why not? You can be this very evening. You can be the culmination or the result of everything that God has been doing from the very beginning, since before the very beginning, until now, that will only end whenever this world is rolled up like an old garment and tossed aside. When Christ comes back to receive his own, then we will forever be with the Lord. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. Are you ready for that day? If not, why not? Let's stand and sing our invitation song.